the allure of being like, I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to have my own business. I'm going to do all of these things is great. And it's wonderful until you sit there at one point. And for me, this definitely happened where it was like, okay, this is still fun, but it's not a jobby. It's not the job that's the hobby. This is my work. And if I'm going to really make this happen, these are the things that I need to do to start taking some definitive action steps. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth. Consistently, I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on episode 599 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with a coach for mid-career professionals, John Nerrill. John helps mid-career professionals prepare, position, and promote who they are and what they do so they can show up to find work they love or love the job they have. If you want to learn how to gain more control over your working destiny and become your own boss, you'll want to hear my discussion with John. Stay with us to hear all the details. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. On my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. We've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. Now let's welcome John Nerrill. John helps mid-career professionals prepare, position, and promote who they are and what they do so they can show up to find a job they love or love the job they have. He's the author of the newly published book, Your Mid-Career GPS, Four Steps to Figuring Out What's Next. He and his spouse are the proud parents of a rescue cat named Amy Farah Meowler, named after their love of the show, The Big Bang Theory. John, welcome to the show. David, thanks so much for having me on today. It's great to connect and uh, looking forward to today. So, John, you coach a lot of professionals going through mid-career crises and mid-career transitions. What do you see as some of their biggest challenges? To begin, probably the biggest challenge they face is this fear of being stuck where they are. They've typically have had some experience behind them. They have a sense of what they think they want to do, or they're pretty established with where they want to do it, but they may be looking for a different challenge. Their biggest fear is about being stuck and about being stuck in a job that ultimately is not going to satisfy them, is not going to challenge them the way they hoped. They're not going to be able to grow. And then if they get caught with the golden handcuffs where leaving may not give them the compensation and financial security that they're hoping for and that they need to meet their obligations, they just fear being stuck in that job and then really looking at 10, 15, 20 more years in a job and questioning whether or not they're going to be able to really do it. Mm. And for those folks, if they do stay in their job for another 10, 15, 20 years, how likely is it that they're going to get pushed out? It's an understandable concern. 
And that also becomes a fear where they then start really questioning their own value to their organization and whether or not they are staying as current and they are as needed and valuable to keep delivering the things that they're expected to do day in and day out. So it's absolutely an understandable fear. So what do they need to do, A, to understand their professional value, and B, to take action? So to understand their professional value, it's important for them to get really clear on who they help and what they help those people do specifically. I call it their unique professional value. You know, David, we're all good at things. And there's a lot of other people who do similar things that we do, but only we bring what I like to call our genius into that work and in those relationships that make us different than everybody else. So if we can lean into specifically where our value is and why that is important from a standpoint of service to our organizations, to our clients, then we get to show up from a very different place. And we almost get to be like that person who is known as the go-to or who is indispensable that doesn't want to, nobody really wants to let us go at that point. What's an example of somebody like that? An example of that would be, let's let's just take a project manager, for example, because I do happen to work with a lot of PMs. And they're the kind of person who they're really good at what they do. They're dependable, they're reliable, they get projects delivered on time and under budget. But there's that other thing that anybody who works there wants to be on that project. It might be the talent development. It might be something in their project management skill set that they're helping people with. It might be the way they build and maintain their client relationships. It's those kind of things that really become more of an asset and, and helps people shift that conversation to simply say, this is why you don't want to lose me. This is where I am most valuable. Here's where I can help you next with that next project, with that next assignment, whatever that may be. Okay. So once they have identified their unique professional value, what do they need to do? They need to live it, breathe it, share it, demonstrate it, and tell as many people about it as possible. And it ties into what their professional brand is as well as their reputation. Right. Jeff Bezos has this great quote that says, our brand is what people say about us when we're not in the room. Our unique professional value is directly tied to what people get to hear about us. Our reputation is how well we deliver on that. You know, it would it would be something as simple as if I have something to offer you and I don't make that offer, who am I hurting? I'm hurting you in some way because I'm not giving you an opportunity to really absorb that offer and decide whether or not you want it. And I'm also hurting myself because I never put myself out there. 
So the action steps that you've referenced is we have to be out there making these kind of offers. And to tie it back in for a second, for those people who are very organizationally loyal and they've been with a company for a long time and they're afraid of getting pushed out, they have to find what that next offer is that they are always going to be seen as an asset and valuable to their organization. Right. So are you saying that there's an offer that they need to be ready to make to their employer if they're employed? Absolutely. Right. And that offer may not necessarily, it doesn't have to be I want a promotion or something. It may be, I want to lead this particular project. I want to get on this assignment. It's it's putting yourself out there with that offer to say, here's where I can help you the most. Here's where I see myself being of value. Am I needed? Do you see the same thing? I mean, from that point on in the conversation, especially when it's either, especially when it's between you and a superior, if they don't see that offer as being valuable, that's a clear sign that there may be some things changing organizationally that you may need to have your finger on the pulse of and decide what your next move may be. Okay. I was going to go back to the project manager example. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, maybe, maybe you can identify an industry that commonly uses a project manager and talk about an example of what kind of offer a project manager might be thinking about making? Let, let's go this route. Because st- st- stories help help sort of frame yeah. how this works. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let, let's just take, for example, an IT company. This is kind of top of mind for me right now. So you have an IT company and a lot of demands, a lot of pressures and things like that. And the focus of the company is understandably results-driven, deploy the project, get it out there, make sure it's working well, all of those kind of things. And as a project manager, while you are known for delivering the project on time and under budget, you also see that across different projects and across the people you're working with, that there's a sense that morale is getting pretty bad. People are getting frustrated. People are getting burnt out. The project manager who is good at all the technical parts of delivery is one thing. A project manager who can step in and be able to not only deal with the project, but address the talent concerns as well, to be the leader who is going to be supportive, who is going to be resourceful and develop people on their team becomes a much more enticing offer for someone and an organization as opposed to being that taskmaster who is just going to drive things and get them done. And at the end of the day, they just don't really have a good time doing it. We can get results while at the same time being the person who listens, who is empathetic, who is knowledgeable, who is willing to train and makes that entire experience much better from a team building capacity rather than just a check the box, we have to get this done kind of thing. Right. Now let's talk about the situation where the employer doesn't really care about talent development, doesn't really care about morale, and is much more interested in just getting things done. And you as the project manager, since you have these soft skills 
to really develop the people on your team, you see that there may be some misalignment between your own personal values and that of your employer. Sometimes this happens when there's a new new manager comes in, or these things often happen when there's um, there could be an acquisition, like your your company gets acquired by another one, and then all of a sudden the acquiring company is way less interested in the human and social capital that that they have acquired rather than just the business processes and the output. So these kinds of misalignments happen for various reasons and they're not connected to your own performance. What do you do in that case? Because A, you may have the feelings of being stuck that you described earlier where you don't wanna be in this kind of job for another 10, 15, 20 years, particularly in this kind of organization. And you do wanna be working, you need to be working, and you probably would be best served to go elsewhere. I deal with that a lot in my practice. The majority of the people I work with are very heart-centered leaders and professionals. And what you just described is such a common scenario across a lot of my clients who begin to really think about whether or not a, a leave or an opportunity to leverage their talents and expertise and take them elsewhere is warranted. The first thing I want to acknowledge, though, is that companies make business decisions. And for a company, let's say, that's been acquired or a company that's going through some kind of transition, that a focus on results without necessarily paying attention to the soft skills and the talent, we know that happens. So let's just call that out for what it is. And for the employer who finds themselves in a values conflict that they're not feeling acknowledged or validated or recognized because of everything that they bring, and they find themselves almost in this churn and burn kind of environment, the first thing that I do with my clients on that is we have to acknowledge exactly what the pain point is. Where are they feeling that disconnect? And is there an opportunity for them to have an intentional conversation with their supervisor, with their colleagues, and see if any of that, if there is a likelihood of that changing to their benefit and the benefit being that that's going to make them want to stay? If not, we know it gets very, very difficult to wake up in the morning and go to work. And when those kind of things happen, when that inner voice starts talking in our heads and starts saying to us, you're not happy, you're not satisfied, they don't care about you anymore, then you start really entertaining the idea of, if I were to make a leap and go somewhere else, where do I go? And the truth of the matter is, is that the older we get, especially once we are in a mid-career, we realize that no place is a party. <laughs> No place is is the rose garden and all those kind of things that that you know we sometimes when we're a little bit younger get these these Pollyanna kind of kind of thoughts and ideas about how every place is perfect because it's not. 
And I work with my clients on drilling down specifically what that fit looks like for them, because that's going to help inform any decisions that they're going to make, not only from when they actually start looking for jobs, but when they start networking and connecting and interviewing, because the things that they're looking for are a little bit different because of the values that are important to them and the culture where they want to work. So John, for those folks that realize that no place is a party and that no place is really going to be an ideal fit and they decide they want to go solo, they want to become self-employed, they want to become a consultant um, or whatever, what do they need to do so that they can make the transition as seamlessly and as successfully as possible? David, that question hits so close to home because I, I remember a little over five years ago when I started entertaining my own path and really considering what going out on my own was going to look like. I mean, there were there were several things. I mean, obviously, the first thing was I realized I was very grateful for the job that I had and where I was working. I was stuck. There was not going to be any advancement. I wasn't getting a raise, wasn't getting a promotion, all those kind of things, because where we had reorged, I just didn't land particularly well. So when I started talking with, I started talking with colleagues and got really clear about like, yeah, this is the path where you're at. You're absolutely right. You're not going to go anywhere. Okay, that was one thing. Came home started having conversations with Richard about, you know, what would this look like if I were to go out on my own? He has a job with benefits. We're married. I was able to hop on his benefits. Those kind of things were really important because I didn't want to be without medical coverage. It's just a good thing to have, right? I think we can acknowledge that. I hired a coach. I hired a coach to work with me on if I was to go out on my own and launch my coaching practice full time, what would that look like? And we built a five-year plan together so that it wasn't just as quickly as the first six months I needed to start replacing my income. We had to do a lot of financial planning and examination in terms of what would a successful five-year plan look like for me to grow the business and to have some space and grace to make some mistakes and in figuring out exactly where do I need to be, who am I targeting, who am I marketing to, who am I serving, where am I going to get the clients, how am I going to be putting myself out there? It was things even like, how many people do I need to connect with each month in order to ensure how many consults I would get for clients, and out of that, how many people end up actually hiring me? It was all of those data things that I didn't know the allure of being like, I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to have my own business. I'm going to do all of these things is great. And it's wonderful until you sit there at one point. And for me, this definitely happened where it was like, okay, this is still fun, but it's not a jobby. It's not the job that's the hobby. This is my work. And if I'm going to really make this happen, these are the things that I need to do to start taking some definitive action steps. So the planning piece was just huge for us. Right. And how important was it to have somebody guide you through the planning part? It was really integral for me. I worked with an amazing business coach named Jeff St. Laurent. And the thing that I loved about him was we started talking about consistency. 
right? It was things like, you're going to send out your email. You're going to do these kind of marketing outreaches. You're going to do this many events, be it virtually or in person. And establishing that consistency and having the accountability was fantastic because I didn't know enough about what that all was going to look like. So to hire somebody that really became that partner for me, that had the expertise and the knowledge, that was vital for me. I would not be where I am at had I not enlisted the help of someone to guide me along that process and show me what had worked for them and to help me make decisions about what was gonna work for me. Actually, probably, David, in all honesty, I might be back working a nine-to-five type job had I not done it. John, what was most important to you in figuring out who could be the best help for you? Because there's so many people that that call themselves business coaches, Mm -hmm. and some of them are quite good at it. There's, There's really no barrier to entry. There are a lot of people that call themselves business coaches that have never run a business themselves as well. And I know that many people go through the same process of trying to get someone who can help them work towards their goals. What kinds of questions were you asking or how did you figure out what would be most important to you in in getting someone who could actually help you get there? The person I hired actually was somebody from my coaching certification program. I went through IPEC, the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. And and he was tasked solely with a lot of the business end of things. So there were opportunities for me to engage with him while I was going through certification that made it an easy entry point. But then when I started looking at his work, And I started looking at the things that he had put out there, the resources, the content, the information. Part of me is like a sponge, right? It was about listening as much, watching as many videos, seeing if this was the person that I felt like was going to hold my hand, but like kick me in the behind when I needed it as well. It was those kind of things that made the fit seem really easy at that point. I have worked with some other people and not gotten the same kind of results. And in all fairness, I think we we interact with different people at different times, but without a doubt, it was absolutely about doing my research, making sure that this person was walking a similar path, that they had the competence and the confidence and the, the body of work that made it an easier decision to say, I'm going to take this investment and hire you to help me with my business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, John, congratulations on everything that you've achieved and what you've built and how you help people through a very, very challenging period in their work lives. What do you aspire to in your work in the future and how do you see it impacting this, um, the mid-career challenges with that people face in employment? Mid-career is probably the most fascinating part of the career journey for me because it's where a lot of the change really happens. We go through our, our 20s and our 30s trying to figure out exactly what we want to do. 
And then by the time we hit our 40s, which is typically the wealth building years, there's an expectation that we land exactly where we should be to start making the impact and the financial rewards, if you will, for the work that we do. And it's a messy time. A lot of times things happen. And for me and my journey, I was standing in front of a, a, a middle school mathematics classroom and teaching a lesson on multiplying fractions after 11 years going, dear God, I don't think I can do this anymore. <laughs> and then trying to figure out exactly how I was going to take my education career and move it. My purpose and my impact right now is to reach as many mid-career professionals as I can to let them know that what they're experiencing and what they're feeling is natural. And it's supposed to happen. It is part of the career journey. And in whatever capacity I can help them navigate through that transition with the competence, the confidence, the grace, and the strength in order to do it, they're going to be so much better on the other end because they're really going to be able to identify what their fit is, but more importantly, how they're going to help people from a place of value and service. And that, to me, is what I'm most excited about, where I'm at in my business and where it's headed. Wow. Sounds remarkable. Congratulations again on uh, what you've achieved, where you're headed. If anyone wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today, access any of the resources you have, your book, et cetera, get in touch with you, where would be the best place for them to go? Best place to go is my website at johnnerrell.com, J-O-H-N-N-E-R-A-L. Certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at John Nerrell Coaching, and certainly on Amazon to check out my books, especially Your Mid-Career GPS. My guest today has been the coach for mid-career professionals, John Nerrell. Thank you again, John, for joining us. Thanks, David. It was a pleasure. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how you can gain more control over your working destiny and much more. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. On my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. And we've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.